Hey there, creatives. Thanks so much for listening to the show. This is episode 23 of season two. Uh, we're getting to ready to wrap up um, here shortly uh, in December. So come back in 2024 with a whole new, uh, a whole new style. We're going to be doing live recordings um, in 2024. So um, It'll still air on Wednesdays, but it probably won't be live until Wednesday afternoon. Um, anyway, uh, today's episode is with Maureen Clancy, who um, really is an integrative psychotherapist. She's skilled in a variety of specialties, but um is integrating some alternative healing practices into her work as a therapist as well. And we have a long conversation about that and some of the challenges uh, pertaining to judgment when you're offering things that maybe other people don't recognize or see value in. Um, and, you know, how to, how to handle that? How do you respond to that? Um, which I think can be difficult, right? Whenever we're putting ourselves out there in the world, it's a it's vul it's a vulnerable position, um, and sometimes the feedback that we receive isn't the nicest. Um, and so when that happens, how do you respond? Especially when you know that you're grounded in your truth and um, and what you believe is of value to your clients. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Rena Lombardi, and I'm really excited to welcome my next guest to the show. Uh, her name is Maureen Clancy, and she's a licensed therapist and trauma expert for over 20 years, helping women go through enormous life changes uh, who've also experienced childhood trauma. And she's the creator of the Gate Passages Framework, a structured bottom-up approach to healing trauma and going through major life changes. She's certified in EMDR and trained in sensory motor psychotherapy with a certification in progress, internal family systems, and AEDP. She combines therapy with Reiki, tarot, and flower essences, and she's a certified uh, NASW clinical supervisor for social workers seeking advanced clinical certification and runs supervision groups for newer therapists looking to gain skills in treating trauma. She's presented on trauma and self-care at Rutgers University Graduate School of Social Work and Limerick Institute of Technology School of Social Care. 
which is in County Clare, Ireland. She's a certified yoga teacher, 200 hours, a 20-year meditator, a self-taught artist and potter, and she's based in the New York City metro area, and she loves to garden, play pickleball, and feed people. Welcome, Maureen. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to be here with you. So I guess let's just dive in. You know, in most of our graduate training programs, um, the emphasis, even 20 years ago, I graduated almost 20 years ago. Um, even then, it was very focused on, you know, integrating evidence-based practices, learning about um, more traditional models. How did you uh, come exposed to alternative healing practices in your work as a therapist? Oh, I love talking about this. It happened during a time when I was trying to recover from a workplace injury in my first career, which was a newspaper reporter. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, and like most things that happened to me, it wasn't really what I was supposed to be doing. I <laughs> loved hearing people's stories and following up on the stories um, and the things that they were experiencing. I didn't really enjoy just getting in and out with a quick story. Mm -hmm. So um, I developed this repetitive strain injury, which made it so I couldn't use my hands anymore. And I was in chronic pain. Um, oh my gosh. From typing? From typing. Yeah. We were all in a, a big newsroom and we had all kinds of um, stations, computer stations, and you just hop on one or hop on the next, whatever was open. And they weren't configured to anyone's bodies. Mm. Um, and we were all under deadline pressure. So there's the tension in your body combined with trying to get that story into the queue um, on deadline. And mm. it really created a lot of inflammation and pain in my body. Wow. Yeah. So I had to stop working. And I moved back in with my parents in my early 30s. And I became really depressed mm. about not being able to use my body anymore the way I was used to. There are times when it really hurt to even like hold a toothbrush. Yeah, it was, That's it was significant, it especially really was. like at, at 30, you know, that's such a young age to experience something like that where your body's not performing the way it should, <laughs> the way we expect it to. Oh, yeah. I really thought, I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And so, you know, moving in with my parents was wonderful because it gave me a place to land so that I had a roof over my head and food and the things that I needed to really heal. Mm -hmm. and um you know it was really depressing for a while as I tried to navigate how to heal 
and what might be next for me. And so I went to therapy for the first time and that was great. I loved it, but I also found that it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, I was doing physical therapy and trying to heal um, what was happening in my body and those two things weren't quite enough. So um, my mom's a nurse and she said, you know, there's someone in town who does this thing called Reiki. I don't really know what that is. I'm not quite sure, but you might try it. And so I thought, okay, I'm willing to try anything right now. Mm -hmm. And after a session, I felt so much more at home in my body. Mm. And I thought, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I kept going. Um, at the same time, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and panic to accompany that deep depression. And it was really about seeing all of my peers getting married, starting to have families. And I wasn't really in a position to do any of that. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to a health food store near me and I talked to the owner about what was happening and she said, maybe you should try some box rescue remedy. And I thought, what the heck is that? So she brought me over to where she had it on her shelf. And she showed me that little yellow box with the bottle inside. And she said, it's mostly, you know, flower essences. But people love it. Give it a try. So I bought it. And in my car, I took it out of the box. And I thought, how can this possibly help? <laughs> but I tried it. I put it on my tongue and right away I felt this opening in my body. It felt like there was suddenly more space to breathe. Mm. And I wasn't as death grip on the wheel anxious. And it okay. lasted for a couple of hours. And I was really surprised. So those two things are things that I started incorporating on a regular basis into my own healing. Mm -hmm. And it was really helpful. For folks that are listening that maybe have heard of Reiki, but don't know what it is, would you be willing to kind of talk about the origins of Reiki and what it, what it is and how people give and receive Reiki? Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'm by no means an expert on Reiki. Um, but what I was taught is that it was discovered spontaneously by someone in Japan. Um, and he, I don't remember his name, but he was putting his hands on um, a family member and felt this energy going through his hands. And that was the beginning of trying to figure out what was happening. And the family member really enjoyed what was happening and felt better. Mm -hmm. um, so he developed a whole system of channeling that energy. And he said, it's just energy that's out there in the universe available to everyone. Mm -hmm. So Reiki is a form of using that energy and directing it into um it could be a person, it could be a plant, it could be a place, it could be my microphone um, as a form of healing. Mm -hmm. 
So that's, that's what I can tell you about the origins of Reiki. And as a recipient, um, what, what, what would somebody who's never done Reiki before, um, what could they expect if they go and say, okay, I'm going to do this. What does that look like? So if you get uh, Reiki in person, then you'll be laying fully clothed on a massage table. That's the most common form, or you can be seated. And the person who is doing the Reiki will have some kind of centering that uh, will happen. And then there'll be a laying on of hands uh, on the person's body. But it's not like a, a heavy-handed gripping. It's more like um, my Reiki teacher, the first one I had said, it's like a butterfly settling on your body. Mm. Um, and so you just receive, it usually feels warm at the place where the person is putting hands on the body. Um, there could be nothing that you feel. Um, but the idea is that you are, um, you're receiving this energy that exists everywhere to heal whatever needs to be healed in your body. Mm -hmm. So after a Reiki session, people usually feel more at ease, calmer, more energized. Mm -hmm. um, if they're experiencing chronic pain somewhere, there's usually um, an ease in the intensity of the pain. And sometimes the, um, you know, how the, the pain is uh, spreading in the body sometimes changes. Mm -hmm. So it's a really gentle form of... Um, of healing. And you can have Reiki that's done in person, or you can do it via distance. And if it's via distance, how does that work? Yeah, well, it works kind of like, um, I mean, Reiki to me is not a religious thing, but it works kind of like prayer or sending, you know, healing thoughts to someone. So you have the intention of sending that Reiki healing energy to a particular person or a group of people or a place. Um, and then they can pick that up whenever they want, or it doesn't even have to be picked up. It can just be received. Fascinating. Yeah. There's not a lot of science behind it, which I think is um, sometimes hard for people to try it. For sure. It I, I think anytime um, you talk about these kinds of methods, people feel they if they don't, they don't understand it, they haven't experienced it, they can feel like, oh, that is a little bit out there. Um, and not, you know, they might have some judgment around it. Um, I know in my practice, um, a couple of years ago, one of the, one of my, my administrative assistant was a Reiki master and, um, and she was like, you know, would you be open to me teaching people how to use it? And, um, and I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to learn too. Um, and, well, we started to promote it and I got a lot of negative feedback, um, in terms of like emails, um, responding to me, marketing this, um, because, you know, 
it's not uh it's not grounded in science it's made up it's like all kinds of things and um and that was tough it's really tough to be on the receiving end of that and i thought okay well i've already been experiencing it in my practice and i've seen how like she was able to do things i once had uh, an intake where there was a young child who was inconsolable and inconsolable at a level that was painful to be in the presence of. I mean, it was intense. Um, and she heard it. She was in another room in the building um, because everybody heard it, even with the sound machines on. Um, and she was able to offer that energy at a distance and the kid fell asleep in in his parents arms and they said that's unusual normally this will go on for hours uh, which was of course why they were bringing him in and kind of referred them on to have more um, testing because I knew there was something else going on there that really needed to be addressed and afterwards she was like are you okay is everything okay and I was like yeah I know like you know, and she told me what she did. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's why he fell asleep. Um, and I, and I thought, okay, yeah, I definitely want to learn how to use this, not simply as something to, uh, be offered to my clients, but more for me, more, how can I use that for me as a clinician when I feel, really dysregulated in context with the work that I'm doing so that the next appointment I can really be grounded. And so um, I did level two training, one and two. I haven't done the third level, but um, to be able to kind of self-administer the uh, Reiki, and I love it. I found it to be really wonderful. And, um, and I think that the therapists that ended up doing these trainings too, have had really positive feedback about how they've been able to utilize it for themselves. Um, it kind of changes the directionality of where they're going, um, in, in the work. And I think if we're dealing with trauma, right, there's, there's like, it's an existential experience and um, it, it it's hard to separate that stuff out, even though we kind of want to um, in our field in some capacity. But um, last year during Hurricane Ian, which hit here and was really devastating, um, as part of like the emergency response, there was like a mental health first responders kind of group that went out and they were calling for volunteers. And one of the things that they were looking for were trauma practitioners that also offered Reiki that not, and not necessarily, you know, as they were like going out to the hard hit communities, which was real total devastation, um, not necessarily to facilitate therapy on the spot, but to 
offer some sense of grounding and comfort and to be able to hold that, I think that energy in those hard hit areas. And I thought, oh, this is good. This is, this is positive. Maybe there's starting to be a shift here um, in people's receptiveness to the practice. Have you observed any of that where you're at in your part of the country? Hey there, creative psychotherapists. I want to share with you an upcoming opportunity in 2024 to be part of the Creative Arts Practice Builders Mastermind Group. Um, I've been holding this mastermind group for the past few years, and we usually meet for six months, and then we have six months off, and it kind of gives people time to integrate what they've learned um, into practice and then come back again um, in the new year. And um, if this sounds something that you're interested in, let me know. We have opportunities for you to book a short uh, Zoom session with me to see if it's the right choice for you. And the group will begin in February 2024. We'll meet uh, three times a month for 60 minutes. Um, one will be one week will be an educational format where I'm presenting something that is beneficial for your business, or um, sometimes it might be a creative arts experiential that's business focused uh, that we engage in together. And then the other uh, two weeks are more hot seat style where um, somebody comes with a problem or a challenge, um, something that they're working on their business, and they receive support from the rest of the group. Um, and then on the off week, on that fourth week of the month, I usually will set up um, a meeting where folks can attend um, and kind of work together. Um, I'm not present during that meeting, but uh, other individuals in the group will come and you can work on whatever it is that you need to address in your business. But if you feel like this might be a benefit to you, uh, sign up for a 20 minute zoom call with me, um, on the website. And you can do that over at creativeclinicianscorner.com forward slash mastermind dash group. And I look forward to talking with you real soon. Wow, Rena! as I'm listening to everything you just shared, it really makes me so happy to hear that things might be shifting. Yeah, that's a big deal. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I haven't experienced that here where I live outside of Manhattan. Um, but what I find really interesting, um, I used to keep all of that hidden and once I started working with a client, I would say, you know, I also do Reiki. Is that something that you'd be interested in? Mm -hmm. And this is what it is. And I'd go through the whole informed consent piece. Mm -hmm. um, and some clients were like, let me think about it. And other clients were like, 
you do Reiki. This is great because I go somewhere else for that. And if that's something that you will offer here, that's wonderful. Yes, I would like to do that. Um, so in that regard, I think it's becoming something that clients in my area are becoming more familiar with and are seeking out as adjunctive healing modalities to the therapy work. And mm -hmm. I think I'm so excited about that because there is this real energetic piece to trauma or any mental health issue that you're grappling with that um, really isn't touched by talk therapy and sometimes those evidence-based talk therapies. And, you know, when you're describing to me this backlash that you received, um, in offering Reiki to your clients, I think that that is um, usually the first thing that I hear um, if I talk about Reiki with other practitioners. They're like, well, how can you combine the two? Is that ethical? Are you jeopardizing your license? And I've reviewed my um, license, the code of ethics, everything. There's nothing in there that says you can't do this. Mm -hmm. And it really starts with your intention for doing it. And it mm -hmm. starts with um, that informed consent piece, which is really important. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. I feel like that's part of anything we offer, right? The consent, making sure where there's transparency that we both are starting from the same place. We have the same understanding. We understand the limitations of what we're offering, all of that. Yeah. So yeah. with your work with Reiki and, um, and flower essences, can we shift a little bit over to that? And I know you were talking about how you were introduced how are you using that in your work with clients? Um, obviously, that's more of like a supplemental kind of thing. Um, I, I've talked with different people about like nootropics and and different types of uh, more natural based supplements to help with managing um, our symptoms, whether that's anxiety or depression, um, what have you, but I'm not familiar. I'm not as familiar with flower essences. Yeah. Flower essences are becoming, um, more and more familiar to people. And I, I'm also really thrilled about that, but flower essences are really the, um, flower put in water for a certain period of time in direct sunlight. And then after that, you take all of the plant material and the flower material out of the water and you add something to preserve it. It can be alcohol, which is what's used in box, box flower essences. It could be vinegar, um, the kind that I use most often if I'm not using my own, the ones that I make. Um, it's preserved in red shiso, which is a plant in the mint family, um, which is a, a great preservative. It's one that's used uh, very widely in um, Asia. Okay. So, yeah. And the idea is that 
there's something that everything that flowers can give you and support you with. So borage as a flower essence gives a sense of self-love and hope. And it's really soothing to the heart. Mm. So if I'm working with a client who is experiencing a lot of grief about what may be lost or what they're losing, it could be someone going through a divorce or job loss or a health condition that's really going to alter how they function in the world. Borage can be really helpful in soothing that grief and sorrow. And so it's thought that everything that flowers has something that it can help with. Fascinating. Yeah, this is all, that's all new to me. It's fascinating. And um, I've been to a lot of herbal conferences. And one of the things that I had never done before that uh, I really wanted to experience is meditation and sitting with flowers or plants. And so one of the workshops that I went to was really wonderful. Um, and the person presenting gave flowers to every single person in that workshop. And you had to sit quietly with the flower and remain open to whatever impressions were coming to you. And what did she give me? She gave me plantain. And I thought, plantain? You know, this is something that I'm yanking out of the cracks in my sidewalk. I wonder what plantain's going to tell me. And for a while, I didn't hear anything. And then I heard, I can help in all of the ways that you don't ever really notice. And I am a survivor, and I can help you survive too. Hmm. And so she asked us what came up and I raised my hands and I thought, You're, this is weird. This is what I heard. <laughs> and she said, that's very interesting because plantain is something for acute injury. You can take some plantain and either um, mix it together with water or actually, if you don't have water, you can chew it in your mouth. And if you put it on um, like a cut or a burn or an insect bite, it will start to heal that a lot more quickly and the pain is going to dissipate. Interesting. I was, I was shocked. And that was just, you know, sitting with plantain. I think it took 10 minutes. Um, so I had already been using flower essences at that point. Um, and I thought, wow, this is something that I may be able to bring to clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like it is, it, it's like um, wisdom from generations before we have like commercialization of uh, all of the medical pills and medications and things that we have today that, that like there's a lot of ancient wisdom in the herbal methods and remedies um, that we probably probably a lot to learn there. 
Yeah, there's so much to learn. Um, but with Bach's rescue remedy, and it becoming really well known and popular, it's a whole new way of introducing that wisdom and experiencing that wisdom. Um, yeah. yeah. And when I first used that box rescue remedy, I mean, the bottle maybe lasted me three days and I just kept buying more and more. And I noticed that it really helped me feel less anxious about what was going to happen. Mm. What was my life going to be after this injury? Which clearly that has has been some time and brought you into the field of social work. Yeah, and I'm so grateful. I'm I'm grateful that that injury happened because it brought me somewhere else that's much more in line with who I am and where my heart is and what I'm mm-hmm. interested in. Mm. And not not spent stressing out writing short deadlines uh for work although we have a different kind of writing that we're responsible for (laughs) Um, yeah yeah so how how do you if if you do receive like um any kind of criticism or or Um, questioning from other colleagues about your methodology and kind of integrating these alternative practices with your more traditional um, psychotherapy training. How do you, how do you respond um, to those kinds of things? Um, If, if that, if that's happened to you, um, I know I, I, I struggled with that myself. Um, how do I respond to this? I don't even know how. Yeah, it's a journey. And at first, it was really hard to hear that. Like, hmm, maybe I really am doing something wrong here. Maybe I should keep that stuff hidden and separate. Um, but then I started to get really curious about where that criticism was coming from. Mm-hmm. And what kind of fears might be coming up for those colleagues who were questioning my use of those things? And um, my dad always used to say something, well, who benefits from that? And I really started thinking, okay, who benefits from the separation here? Mm. And it might be governing bodies. It might be, you know, states giving out licenses I don't really know I don't have the answer for that but Mm -hmm. when I um, became curious about those criticisms I I think the best response that I ended up giving and usually it's the one that I still have it's you know the alternative healing modalities aren't for everyone and if it makes you uncomfortable to know that I'm doing it, you know, I'm be happy to have a conversation about the anecdotal evidence that I'm getting from my clients. Mm-hmm. But if if you would rather not talk about it, we can also agree to disagree on my use of that. Um, 
So that's how I handle it now, but it, it makes me curious. And it always, it, I think it's always going to make me curious about where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Is it the patriarchy? I, I'm just not sure. That That's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't really have the answer either, except for that it's somehow linked with fear, like you said. Um, I think people fear things they don't know and don't understand. Um, and yeah, I think your response is eloquent and, um, and assertive, (laughs) respectful, um, and helpful. So thank you for, for sharing that for folks that might be listening that may also be in that position too, of gosh, it feels really vulnerable to put this out there, but I want to, because I see how it is a benefit to the clients that I'm working with, or perhaps it's been beneficial for themselves in Mm -hmm. some way. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Oh, I'm happy to. I will often get supervisees who will say, I secretly want to bring this into the work, but I'm really scared. And, you know, I'll say, okay, informed consent, transparency, that's really key here. Mm-hmm. Um, but try it. See if there's a client who might be willing to try what you'd like to offer. Yeah. Because we're not in like, there's a narrowly defined um, idea of what a therapist does, but clients are coming to us wanting all of the healing power we have, mm-hmm. not just this little slice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that there's more and more acceptance of widening the scope of what's offered in a healing relationship for therapists and their clients. Mm-hmm. I do too. I, I've noticed that, you know, over the course of my career, places that are maybe a little bit more receptive to it are, um, facilities that are, you know, end of life, um, hospice work, um, work with cancer, um, things of that nature, uh, but not necessarily out in kind of maybe more traditional places where psychotherapy is offered, which is really unfortunate. Um, But hopefully, you know, as more people come to these things and they're talking about them and making them visible and accessible and relatable, that it it will come to be. Um, you know, the fact that they were looking for folks that had that background at, to do the mental health response for me was like, wow, that's I was not expecting that. That's a tremendous sign, um, which is exciting. Yeah, that's really exciting. And Reiki is really great for providing that grounding and regulation in the nervous system, which after something traumatic is so hard to come by on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. 
our whole area was dysregulated for quite some time. I don't think that we're really back to to completely normal yet. There's still so much um, happening in terms of recovery efforts, but um, a lot better than where we were a year ago, which was like right after it happened. And it, it was just, it was scary. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds awful. It, it was, it was, it was horrible. Um, I've lived, I've been through many, many, many hurricanes. Um, I'm from Florida and grew up here. So I've been through many storms. This was definitely the worst I've ever experienced. And, um, and it just, it, it's changed our entire landscape of our community here. So whenever you have something that that's so destructive and catastrophic, there's so much grief. And, um, even like, I know people, I've said, oh, I know I need to do some therapy because, you know, I was there and I, this happened to me, but I just haven't had time yet. I have, because, because that seems like, you know, higher up on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, than just to kind of get stabilized in some way. Yeah. There's so many, uh, acute needs after something like that happens, um, and, you know, the understanding that, yeah, I can benefit from therapy, but actually placing yourself in a chair so mm -hmm. that you can confront or face what happened to you takes a lot of energy. So much energy. Yes. So much energy, which um, that's something that's nice that you're able to you know, be with your clients and offer additional energy to them um, as they're going through the process. Um, yeah, so I'm very grateful to be able to do that. I'm curious how your gate passages framework may integrate some of these things. Um, you talk about it as a bottom-up process versus a top-down process. And I think, you know, the more we're learning about trauma, the more we're recognizing that we, it, it that bottom-up is um, where we need to be focused. Uh, the cognitive shifts only help so much. Um, but would you be willing to share how you're, integrating that into your framework yeah i would be happy to um and it really you know starts with the nervous system um because when you are remembering something traumatic that happened to you there are specific body memories that also start to show up in the body and it could be like an orienting response or like a a defensive response, um, you know, you can bring your hand up as a pushing away of something or someone. And so um, I really, um, I saw so many clients who had that happening earlier in my career, and I had no way of doing anything except noticing it 
-hmm. And it wasn't until someone, um, it was a colleague who introduced me to sensory motor psychotherapy in 2018 that I really started to go, oh, this is the missing piece. This mm -hmm. is what I can bring in for clients who had very severe body memories and things that were happening that really kept them in a survival response. Mm -hmm. And so um, the sensory motor psychotherapy has really changed the way I practice in that when clients start talking about what happened, or if there's a current trigger that goes back to something that was traumatic that happened, we will start noticing what's happening in the body and bring in mindfulness to do that rather than talking about, okay, well, this happened and then that happened. It's a, all right. So when you talk about that first thing that happened, I notice that your shoulders come forward. Mm -hmm. Can we work with that sense of your shoulders coming forward? And usually it's a real shift for uh, people who've had therapy before because they want to talk about their shoulders <laughs> coming forward and what that means. And the last time they did it and 20 times ago and how they saw their mom do it. And they want to really bring in that cognitive piece. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost really training them to stay with what's happening in the body. Yeah as a way of reconsolidating those body memories, which really don't respond to talk therapy. No, <laughs> Yeah, no, they need a different way of being expressed and understood. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I, I was going to say, so it sounds like with your, um, with the gate passages framework, you're integrating a lot of the sensory motor psychotherapy approaches into that. Yeah, as well as the Reiki, um, which is a body approach. You really don't have to do anything except receive and the flower essences, because interestingly enough, flower essences, once you take them, they go right to work on what's needed. And if, you know, if you're taking borage, for example, and you're like, I got plenty of self-love, I don't need that. It just goes through your system and out as quickly as you took it. Um, so you don't have to think about anything that's happening with it. It works really on the body and only on the body. And the idea of that is if your body is, you know, for example, you're not experiencing any love for yourself and you're taking borage and you notice an opening here, your posture might get taller. You mm -hmm. might actually feel like you're more solid in your body because there's more space in your torso now that you're sitting up straighter. So those methods that I'm using are really designed to work with the body first, mm -hmm. not so much that you have to think about it. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you're getting out of the way or you're kind of working around the cognitive defenses that might prevent stuff from changing because um, <laughs> that's the goal of those defenses, right? Keep us acting in the same way that we've habituated to. Um, 
So you're kind of getting around that, making some shifts within the body, which then can be recognized and thought of differently. My understanding. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it, Raina. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, a gate passage is my term for a time of enormous change. And the idea of that phrase is um, so that there's a structure that you can start to bring in when you're going through a big change. You'll start at one area of the gate and you're just going to keep passing through until you're out of the gate. Mm, on the other and side. So on the other side, exactly. So I used that phrase very intentionally um, to really set an expectation that whatever change is happening now, it's something that you're going to get through mm -hmm. and be on the other side of. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, I always say, you know, the only way out is through and <laughs> we have oh, to yeah. feel, feel our way through things, not think our way through things. Um, exactly that's it mm -hmm. yeah but it's hard to feel our way through things so um having a having a framework to do that within and support us as we do that is really helpful yeah it, it's a for me in a really safe way of working with trauma and it really follows uh, Pierre Genet's three-phased approach to working with trauma and healing from trauma. So yes. I'm hoping to be building on that work. Mm. Do you offer training in that approach? Not yet. It's on my list of things that I would like to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's on the list. I have a long list. There's so many things that I'm interested in and curious about. Um, but I expanded recently from an individual practice to a group practice. Oh. I have two clinicians who work with me now. They work part-time. And so I am teaching them about this framework. Mm. And so hopefully in teaching them about the framework, it'll really point me in the direction of formalizing this for training and helping other mm -hmm. clinicians learn more about it if they're interested. Yeah, I think that would be really helpful um, for sure, especially for those of us that are looking to integrate <laughs> different approaches to meet our clients' unique needs. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's not enough good trainings out there for that. No. And which is why I'm always, um, you know, in my heart, thanking the art therapist out there because they've really been at the forefront of incorporating something else into therapy. Yeah. I, I think um, I went to Leslie, which was, or which is, um, you know, a multimodal approach. So it integrates all the expressive arts. And um, one of the classes that I got to take as an elective was holistic approaches to psychotherapy. And the teacher, she taught us all, we did all kinds of 
things um, in there that now I recognize like, oh, we learned about that in that class, but it's being integrated into um, a lot of the current approaches to psychotherapy, right? You pulling in yoga, which so many people are doing that. And there's now trainings to, you know, integrate yoga in therapy for that. Um, and Tash, what else? She talked a lot about herbal, herbal tinctures and, and different things, mindfulness approaches to eating. Um, just, it was definitely not your, not, not your traditional program, but wonderful, um, to have that exposure and to know, okay, like there's, there is an opportunity for this here, um, which is wonderful. But the other piece is that with the expressive therapies, it really is body. The body is part of part of that work, especially if you're taking people in and out, like, you know, you're creating about something art wise, then you're expressing it through your movement. What, like, what does that look like with your body? Where do you feel it in your body? And you're, you're processing it in that way. Um, so it's wonderful to see that as, as a whole, even the creative arts and the expressive arts are kind of being more widely accepted and recognized, um, for their value. Um, I know you were saying you're, you're working on the certification for sensory motor psychotherapy, and um, there's a training on sensory motor art therapy. I would love to take, I have not been able to fit that in, but that's been around for a really long time. And, um, yeah, it's just fascinating. And I, I've read the book on the, the topic, but I haven't taken an actual physical training, which I would love to take. I've played myself in that realm. Um, but I think it would be beneficial to take a legitimate training with somebody who's a master and that's their approach. Um, but it's all about like really interpreting what's in the body into, um, uh, an art piece, but the art piece isn't a product. It's not a product to be looked at as something. It's an experience that you're going through and you're, it's bilateral. So you're using both hands at the same time as you're expressing, um, what's happening and it's really fascinating. Um, Ooh, this sounds fantastic. I can't wait to look this up, Raina. Yeah. Yes. Highly recommend, um, for sure. Yeah. So for people that would like to learn more about what you do, or perhaps maybe they're a social worker that would really like to be in your supervisory group um, <laughs> to learn from you and to learn how to integrate um, different approaches to treatment, um, whether they're more traditional or more alternative um, into their practice. 
Uh, where can they find more information about you, Maureen? They can visit my website at maureen-clancy.com and the information is there about how to um, set up a, a brief talk to discuss working together in supervision. Love it. Well, I am grateful for you making the time and for being willing to talk about your work and how you're integrating these um, approaches into treatment. And I'm happy to have this conversation because I think that there's real value in it. And um, I, I wish people didn't write it off so quickly and hope that Me we have too. more people coming around. <laughs> Yeah, and thank you so much for making space for this conversation, because I think there are a lot of clinicians who are curious about how to bring all of that in. So it's wonderful to be in conversation with you about this. Thank you. Ah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Maureen. Um, if you're somebody that has been, you know, wanting to um, integrate the alternative healing modalities into your work, um, I hope that you found this conversation inspiring and um, and hopeful that, hey, you know, other people are doing this and there's a way to do it that's ethically minded and, and grounded. Um, as always, if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We very much appreciate uh, your support in helping us to be found by other folks that might find value in the conversations that we're having on the show. And um, I hope that you all have a wonderful creative week and we'll talk at you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.